Hello and welcome. My name is Joe O'Mara. I'm the Head of Aviation Finance with KPMG. And on behalf of KPMG and Airline Economics, I'm delighted to be joined by Gary Fitzgerald. Gary is the CEO of Stratus. He is joining us for the purpose of our Aviation Leaders Report. And I should say we're recording this on the 12th of December. Gary, thanks so much for joining us. Before we get into the meat of the conversation, would you mind telling our watchers a little bit about Stratus? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on today, Joe. Appreciate it. Um, so our company Stratus, uh, we are an aircraft asset management firm. We're probably number 10 in the world. We manage a fleet of just under 60 aircraft. We've been around just over nine years. We set up originally as a remarketing specialist and grew into sourcing and, and asset management over those years. We are not to be confused with a lessor. We don't use our balance sheet uh, for uh, investing in aircraft, but we operate on behalf of multiple investors, such as uh, sort of smaller uh, sort of family offices, private equity entities, and, uh, and, and other arrangers and uh, institutional investors who want to have exposure to metal and need the services of an expert in leasing to help them do so. So we've probably got uh, just under 10 separate investor groups that we work with actively at the moment. Uh, we're also pretty involved in, in helping and, and uh, consulting for airline clients. Uh, so it's not only investor focus, it, we, we also assist uh, airlines with uh, remarketing, uh, sourcing and, and funding. So since we set up uh, nine years ago, we've, we've grown to a team of just under 30 people. Uh, we have raised over $3 billion of, uh, of funding for, for, for different aircraft, either commercial or securitized debt, capital markets debt. And we have remarketed and sourced just over 100 aircraft in that time. So that's, that's our profile. Right. No, thanks for that, Gary. And in looking then maybe on airline performance, so the you know, ones that you've worked with or on the customer side for the investments you've been setting up and managing, how have you seen that evolve over the course of 2022? And in particular, kind of the geographies and the differences you've seen in which you operate? Yeah, so I mean airlines have have done surprisingly well considering where most of the world seems to be looking, which is in recession or, or, or not, uh, not expansion mode in any case. Airlines seem to be across the board, with the exception of China, of course, benefiting from a strong tailwind that we've seen through COVID where people were uh, limited from traveling. And we, we see substantial strength in yields, substantially more than 2019 yields across the board. So airlines are surprisingly having a great time uh, right at the moment. Um, next year, time will tell how things work. We typically see going into recession, business travel is a little bit more limited or constrained, but will we be carried by that, that tailwind uh, on, the, on the kind of friends and family uh, and, the, and the sort of personal uh, traveler? Probably it, it seems to look very strong going into 2023, you know, despite the, 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 the potential for recession in, in many parts of the world. Your second part of your question about regions, I mean, the US has been incredibly strong. It definitely climbed out of COVID uh, quicker, recovered from COVID quicker than any other market. Europe has been pretty strong, uh, let aside the, the infrastructural issues we saw this summer, but uh, the European airlines have done particularly well, although in my view, probably more exposed to some 
disruption next year uh, with overcapacity potentially. Asian airlines have had a terrible time this year, but many of them are actually coming back pretty strong with the exception of China. And uh, we're seeing substantial demand for, for aircraft from, from that region at the moment. So. And, and on that demand piece, Gary, can you talk to us a little bit about where you see the opportunities in the market? And we'll come to investors in a little bit, but on the kind of airline side, where, as you look out into next year, are you focusing from an opportunity perspective? So, I mean, there's several entry points for investing in aircraft, SLB, so directly with the airlines is, is, is one that's been very difficult to get into for competitive reasons over the last few years. Um, not only because of competition, but because the supply has been so limited, of course, with the max groundings, et cetera. But that is actually becoming, I wouldn't say less competitive, but more compelling, let's put it that way, as in rates have increased, uh, lease rate factors have increased, uh, widened, and we're finding little less exuberance or, or, or sort of very strange pricing from, from competitors. So uh, on, on some processes recently, we've been very, um, we, we, we've been very impressed with, with how realistic airlines have have become, uh, as in uh, lease rate factors have increased to a point where it, it makes sense for our investors. Um, the other main entry point for investing is in uh, buying aircraft at least attached from the, the lessors. That's been pretty difficult, I would say, through this year as the interest rate curve has changed dramatically. But we're starting to see now a, a number of lessors open the book substantially and uh, we were, were, I, I believe 2023 is going to be a, a year of big trading across the, the different lessors for various reasons. Um, but uh, of course, there's an interest rate headwind. This is surprising to, to many today. But in fact, the only thing surprising to us is the speed at which interest rates have, have widened. Um, we, we have dealt with high interest rates. And uh, when I say high, I mean, you know, the base rate is, is, is sort of four or thereabouts for, for many years over the last few cycles. So it's, it's, I think what's peculiar really is we've managed to, to live in such a low interest rate environment for so long and then had such a rapid tightening. But in reality, aircraft, airlines can sustain substantially higher interest rates across the board. It's just a kind of shock of, of doing so so quickly has been a bit of a surprise. But to answer your, your question, I mean, I think we see opportunities in all, all of those areas, SLB and buying aircraft uh, with lease and even naked aircraft is the substantial value out there. And we've, we've done a lot in, in that area. So. And, and on some of the challenges there, you obviously spoke to interest rate uh, environment and we might come on to a second how that's impacting in, in the lease rate factor environment. But the general macroeconomic piece, Gary, where you've had interest rates, you've had oil, uh, you know, volatility, it's getting, getting a bit more under control. We've seen uh, huge inflation, just most economies. Um, and we've seen airlines that aren't US dollar denominated challenged, right, with the FX movements. And then we have the geopolitical piece and the Russian invasion and what that's led into. Can you talk to us over the challenges that the uncertainty in the macro environment is causing in aviation finance? Yeah, no. Again, you always have to keep your eye on fuel and, you know, recession. Recession drives or kills demand. Interest rates, there's a reason they're high. And the reason is because they're tracking inflation. And in theory, inflation is, is tracking where, where people's wages are rising to. So I think for, for us, our, our main alarm bells are on fuel and recession fears. Neither of those have been... Uh, too severe on airlines yet. Um, we haven't seen a substantial drop in demand 
due to recession, and we haven't seen any spike in fuel just yet. But of course, both of them could get a lot worse as, as time goes on. But so far, it's been it's been pretty pretty okay, and it's very difficult to predict both of them. Uh, have have the, 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 the Federal Reserve and, and other central banks tightened, uh, well, uh, widened fast enough to, to to kill off inflation? We don't know yet. It looks it looks positive, but who knows? And uh, fuel, I mean, we, we all know it's volatile, and we all know that one major event can can change that in, in a day. But so far, uh, things look with demand potentially slowing going into recession. It looks like fuel might be more reasonable going into next year. FX has stabilized a lot in the last three months. It uh, it went through a, a quite a quite a roller coaster, especially euro and and, and non obviously you know relating to the dollar. Um, Japanese yen were very sensitive to ourselves, with with a lot of our investors in Japan. Um, but that is seems to come back in uh, not quite where it was sort of historically in the last five years or so, but but not far off. So I think there's a, a lot of pressure taken off on the FX side. Uh, I think yeah. That's where we're where we are today, and and you chatted a little bit at the start around interest rates. Can you talk to us about how that's feeding into the lease rate factor environment? There's obviously a logical piece that we should see lease rate factors increase. There's always been a lag, right? Interest rates go up, and, and lease rate factors follow thereafter at a point in time. How are you seeing lease rate factors evolve? Um, We've definitely seen a lift in lease rate factors on new SLB uh, programs. There's a number of airlines that have been very clever in, in locking in uh, low rates uh, for deliveries into next year. Uh, we've not been involved in, in any of those, but you know, typically an investor would have hedged in any, or any sensible investor would have hedged for those you know, occurrences. But uh, yeah, we're definitely seeing increase in, in lease rate factors as uh, you know, in line, perfectly in line with, with where funding Price are going, so we're not say seeing, oh, there's two or three crazy uh, lessors that well, they may not be crazy, but they may they may be competing on a process and they may have access to substantially cheaper funds. That was one fear that we had for a while, but actually that's not the case. No one seems to have access to much cheaper funding at all. So everybody's in the same boat. Lease rate factors, air, airlines can only you know defy gravity for so long, and they've been very low. They've had fantastic you know fantastically low lease rate factors for many years. So. And maybe on the debt side, Gary, can you talk to us on your view on the aviation debt market? And, and maybe we'll break that down into different components, maybe, maybe starting on the capital market side. So, you know, as an asset manager, you know, one of the channels that's been very important to that cohort has been the ABS market. You know, it's one you've been involved in in the past. Can you talk to us a little bit on your perspective on that market, where it currently sits and how you see it going next year? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, capital markets across the board and not even aviation, only aviation related, of course, have, are in a substantial reversal or, or retreat or, well, even stop. Let's just say they're closed today, uh, almost totally, not, not, not 100%. There are some private deals that are happening, but not, not so public. Um, we issued two ABSs in the last uh, three years. Uh, both of which have performed extremely well. I think our second ABS, which was Solar uh, 2021-1, uh, we issued our A notes at the tightest ever margin uh, ever at that point. I think it was 150 spread uh, at, at the time. You, you definitely, you wouldn't get anything near that today for sure. Um, but uh, I guess I'm personally hopeful that next year, probably late Q1, Q2, as a function of how the rest of the market goes, we're, we're gonna start seeing some, some you know, new 
newly restructured aviation ABS is issued in the market. And I, I want to say newly restructured, there will be um, every cycle, and we're, we're, we're coming out of the, the, you know, the most recent cycle, I think the market learns what is good and bad about our securitization products. And I think the investment bankers have been particularly busy, you know, creating new structures that make it more palatable to, to, uh, to the note holders, in particular around amortization uh, and repayment uh, events. So. Yeah, no, I think that's the hope. You can build in some of that attractiveness, you'd say very sentiment driven market no one would have thought in 21 when it came back it would come back so strongly so fingers crossed for next year on, on the rest of the debt market right looking at the traditional aviation banks and also the alternative lender class you know which has been you know private equity back um generally um and has increased in prominence and probably importance over the last 12 or 24 months can i get your perspectives on those two markets yeah, sure. Not just to put it into context. I mean, ABS, even in its heyday, it's tiny. Well, it's not tiny, but it's it's not a very big portion of overall debt funding that's that's in the market. I know it gives a lot of headlines, but it's a very efficient way to efficient way to fund uh, aircraft new and used. But the commercial banks have always held an enormous portion of actual new aircraft funding funding lessors behind their new deliveries, et cetera, et cetera. So probably 80%, well, 70% to 80% of all funding uh, traditionally has gone through the, 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 um, the, uh, the, the sort of commercial lenders. Uh, they have obviously taken some losses during COVID as some aircraft were restructured, but uh, by and large, they've come back pretty strong on, on the market. Um, we're seeing relatively decent competition, healthy competition, especially for the new tech aircraft, new, new deliveries. Um, alternative asset managers, for me, it's totally normal that these entities have entered the market where they are. They, they serve a, a very defined purpose. We, we all know that regulations, regulatory capital keeps getting more expensive for the, the large commercial lenders. So any pure asset backed funding that we might have seen in the past done by these, these lenders is, is largely sort of left now to the alternative asset managers. So it's, it's, it's kind of a normal evolution in our view. Uh, very much as you see, you know, insurers and pension funds take on aircraft debt through securitization capital market sort of style transactions, you know, it, it, it sort of, it, it fits the trend, which is increasing regulation uh, over time has stopped commercial lenders from, from, from putting their balance sheet out on, on, on so much uh, aircraft debt, you know. So, yeah, I mean, look, we've been borrowing, uh, raising substantial amounts of capital this year. We've, we've accessed both the commercial bank market and the new alternative uh, lender market. Uh, they're all very professional, very much present, and uh, there's no shortage of availability of funding. And on the investor side, um, Gary, as you mentioned, um, you guys would have a significant presence in Japan. Uh, you know, Japan has been an area that has had a huge affinity with aviation for decades. Um, can I, the other area you've seen is US private equity, which potentially become more important in the last couple of years. But can I get your thoughts on the types of investors you're chatting to and displaying interest in aviation finance? Is it the similar types of categories of investor, the names are changing, or have you seen any interesting trends in recent times? Well, I, I think it, it is that you're, you're right. Pri private equity has been big in this market for many years. They are also built up a bit of a war chest, you know, in anticipation of a bonanza from COVID, but that didn't really materialize. 
um, lessors basically didn't need to trade and, and airlines didn't actually default as they were expected because of government support. But um, they're still there, but a lot of the capital was, which was raised has basically expired in those two years. Um, but we do see more and different names on the PE side that are that are in, you know involved. We we also see, as you said, the Japanese investor. But don't forget that's a market that's quite limited to better credit, better asset uh, sort of deals. A um, little bit more conservative, not wholly, but mostly tax focused. So you don't want a, a, an interruption in any of those tax leases. Um, but to answer your question, we are seeing new types of, of investor in, in our market. We're seeing, you know, for instance, insurers, um, pension funds have more focus and dedication in, in this space on, on a pure equity investment. Um, they obviously like rated instruments, but in, in, in some cases they're happy and need to take extra risk on the, uh, on the equity side. So we're seeing more and more of that. And it probably speaks a little bit, and I'd be interested in your thoughts on just the attractiveness and aviation as an asset class. Um, we had seen a huge maturing in the aviation finance space really over the last decade, decade and a half. Um, can you get your thoughts on where it sits now versus other asset classes? Because COVID was obviously a bigger shock to aviation than others, but proven very resilient to the points you talked about. Russia probably had an outsized impact on aviation versus other sectors. Do you have any concerns the attractiveness of aviation as an asset class will be weaker coming out of these challenges we faced, or is that offset by the resilience that the overall sector has shown? I think today aviation doesn't look so exciting as an equity investment compared to what else is out there in terms of return. Uh, you do find opportunities today for much more structured assets, much more liquid assets, where you're in a more senior position and you're making not too far off where, where equity is sitting today. Over the long, medium, long term, aviation has proved its resilience, as you've said. It is a store of long-term value. And you know, despite all sorts of technology upgrades and, and, and advancements, you know, even the, the sort of old tech aircraft retain a, a lot of value. Um, so, yeah, I mean, for many of our investors, we're kind of classed in the alternative asset sec segment. So they're looking at the likes of rail, shipping, uh, solar, energy, et cetera. And, you know, over and over, it comes back to the same answer. Aviation has reliably been less volatile than other sectors. Um, it doesn't always, at, at every point in time, always look like the most attractive in terms of equity return. But over time, it's stable and that attracts a, a substantial amount of interest uh, from the likes of the pension insurer groups uh, that I mentioned earlier. And maybe looking on the leasing market, maybe at a macro level, uh, Gary, what we've seen over the course of the pandemic is probably a deepening of relationships between lessors and airlines as they lessors are hugely important to the survival of a lot of those airlines. And we've seen that 50% threshold breached a number of aircraft that, uh, that leasing groups own. Can I get your thoughts on whether that is you know, a continued and long-term shift in the popularity of leasing or as airline balance sheets recovered, do you see that potentially receding then? That's a very good question. It's really impossible to answer that for sure. But it's clear that in the last 30, 40 years, leasing has grown from pretty much zero to 50%. Will it go to 100? 
I really don't think so. Mainly because there'll always be some airlines in the top 50 airlines. It will always be cheaper for many of them to fund aircraft through their own balance sheet, through direct loans and finance leases. So I don't think we'll ever get, let's say above 75% in, in my lifetime anyway. I don't think it's the same. I know some analogies we made to the hotel industry where hotels don't actually own most of the hotels. It's not at all the same. Airlines are actually under pressure to show that they've got long-term store value themselves. Airlines need to show that they own aircraft and they're depreciating them, et cetera, et cetera. In the context, you know, aircraft leasing has become more efficient than in a, from a funding source than many of the airlines. And that makes sense because there's a sort of a spread of risk across, um, across different lessees, which lessors can therefore raise cheaper funding. It is, it is a competition on capital, but we're still seeing some of the largest airlines able to access cheaper funding than even the most, uh, well, even the strongest uh, lessors, frankly. So uh, I know it's a bit of a flaky answer, but I, my feeling is we might start heading towards a 60% share, but I can't really see it get a crazy amount higher. And I'm very happy to be proven wrong over time. No, I, I, would, I wouldn't say, not, not an uncommon view, I would say, Gary, to be honest with you. I think when you chat to people, that there is that logical piece where people, as you say, still want to own some of their assets, have that flexibility, are happy to take the residual risk. Um, can, I, can I ask you your thoughts, and particularly interested in this as an asset manager, on just the importance of scale and whether or not scale is becoming even more important, right? So some of the themes when we've been chatting to maybe the large balance sheet lessors for the purposes of the report is, I think scale is more important. We think now you need to run a, whether it is a five, eight, $10 billion platform. Um, but then you have a huge asset manager class, as you've talked about. Just your perspectives on the importance of scale from an asset manager perspective. It's a good one. Um, it's it's an it's an I would say I wouldn't say easy or lazy way to think about it, but it's it's a fairly obvious sort of storyline. Hey, scale is good in our industry. You know, the bigger we are, the more reach we have, the more able we are to move aircraft. You know, without too many trouble uh, problems. But there is a cost to that, and that is lack of or a drop in focus on the actual investors. Now. Our perspective is quite different from a leasing uh, company. Le lessors, of course, have their own balance sheets and their own investors to, to manage. Um, and their job is to maximize the return for those investors. But when, when you're working for multiple individual investors on sort of standalone, so some might own one, some might own 15 aircraft in our portfolio, we have noticed, and it's absolutely clear to us, that COVID has proven that the bigger the lessor, the worse the service is for the smaller investors. That's absolutely clear for us. They have not been able to manage simultaneous bankruptcies in the airlines, simultaneous repossessions, and communicate effectively with all the, all the different investors that they need to. Uh, they have not been able to, to redeploy aircraft efficiently elsewhere. I know that a lot of aircraft have been taken off the ground and flying around, but the quality of the leases we've seen is, in many cases, incredibly poor. Uh, driven by, let's be honest, you know, some of the biggest guys don't have the choice. They're, it's a bit of a chop shop and they're like, let's just get these aircraft flying at any cost. So we, we're definitely seeing the, uh, the fallout from that. Many investors that we know, especially Asian investors in some of the US, are incredibly upset with the bigger guys uh, having, I wouldn't say mismanaged, but I would say not had the focus on, on their aircraft. It's, it's only normal because of the scale that we're talking here. Um, but in the process, of course, these the, the larger uh, lessors, in my view, 
by putting these weaker leases in place, they have damaged the residual value. They have damaged the tradability of many of these assets. And you know, I think time may tell when some of the, the more public securitization structures, you can see there's big problems with some of those fleets. Uh, I, I think time might start to tell where the issues really sit in the next couple of years. And shifting gears a little bit, Gary, if we could talk a little ESG with a particular focus on the environmental aspect. Um, as you're having conversations either on the investor side or on the debt side, how prominent is ESG uh, in those discussions and what kind of current impact is it having on your business? So from our perspective, aviation leasing really hits uh, well on the S and the G, but definitely not on the E. And we've seen some partners say, well, we've just funded the most efficient aircraft that there is out there, but it, it happens to be just 20% more efficient than, than the last generation. It still burns a crazy amount of jet fuel. So the big issue I think we all recognize is our industry doesn't have any real uh, way to fund metal that is truly uh, ESG with a big E. We ourselves are investing in the shares and the technology in hydrogen technology, but it's, it's still many years off, let's be honest. Um, replacing jet fuel is, is absolutely a priority over, the, over the, the long term. The sooner we can do this, the better, but the reality is it takes many, many years of technology to get this right. Uh, we're very involved in funding that side, but it won't be until mid 2020s before we can get something really to fund. And that even that is not on a very large commercial jet, it's on a, it's on a 55 seater aircraft, which is a great first step. But today and for the foreseeable, we don't have anything we can really touch and say that is a true ESG uh, product. Does that affect our ability to, to attract investors to the market? Not really. I think the S and the G are so strong. You know, airlines definitely link societies and they, you know, they're basically ahead of the pack in many, many jurisdictions for, for governance. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we have a major issue as an industry on the E side. So, Do, do you think, um, obviously, you mentioned the hydrogen piece, the more immediate piece is probably around SAF and, you know, the key building block on the reduction, uh, as you say, on, on the emissions on the fuel side. But, but severely lacking around production and probably technological advancements as well. Um, interested in your thoughts on SAF, right, um, and, and the bet that's made there. I'm just curious, do you think there will be an avenue in time for, you know, aviation finance players to kind of step into that market? They know how to fund, you know, large aviation assets. Is there an evolution into SAF from aviation finance in some way? Well, SAF is, is kind of a controversial subject for us in any case. Um, number one, uh, we will never, as a, as, a, as a globe, be able to produce enough SAF to replace the 100 billion gallons of jet fuel that we, we burn today. So that's, I think we all know SAF is only ever going to be a, a portion, a piece of the solution. And it will be an important piece, don't get me wrong. But it is a deceptive uh, piece, in my view, because I think we have a lot of OEMs and a lot of players in our industry who could do more. And they can conveniently point to SAF and say, oh, that's somebody else's issue. And they'll be producing this um, over time. And now, oh, yeah, governments, of course, need to support and, and, and get into this uh, to, you know, to make it a reality. That's all, you know, you can, you can understand the dialogue that goes around that. But in reality, it means OEMs in particular don't really have to do anything at all. They can, they can continue to produce exactly the same product 
and you know the fuel source changes to something that's a bit more environmental, everybody is happy. For me, again, it's it SAF is going to be a very important element going forward. And I do think that the leasing community could and should be looking more into how to fund that more efficiently. But uh, I, I do feel that there's a, a, an excessive focus on SAF for our industry. I think uh, it's not going to be the only uh, end, end uh, solution. And we need to focus on the other, the more technological um, metal sort of solutions as well. Yeah, no, I think a very fair comment. Um, shifting maybe a little bit, Gary, onto the fleet focus side, you mentioned uh, just some value when we spoke about opportunities at the start in, in different types of metal. Can you talk to us where you're seeing value in the market from a metal perspective? So, I mean, we're, we're seeing value across the spectrum. I mean, we, we've done SLB deals and stub leases on 10-year-old aircraft. We've bought some naked 10-year-old uh, wide bodies and, and, and done, you know, amazing uh, transaction on, on getting them um, uh, sort of uh, done up and, and leased out. Um, and on the new aircraft side, there's, there's there's a lot of opportunities. So I don't I don't think there's any area where there's there isn't some opportunities for what we're trying to do, which is bring investments to different types of equity capital, whether that be sort of more high risk people looking for twenty percent plus return, or the more low low risk but low uh, low reward low return uh, sort of side. And maybe feeding that out, you know, comment you made earlier on the trading environment. And we've had, you know, probably a slightly dysfunctional trading environment where challenges with OEM delays, feeding into larger guys holding on to aircraft. You mentioned you probably expect that freeing up a little bit uh, over 2023. What's going to uncork that market for us? I think it's all down to the refinancing of uh, certain notes, bonds that are that are coming due next year. I think, uh, and, and also some of the deliveries are starting to pick up or anticipated to pick up next year. I think lessors will need to fund themselves for those, uh, those events. And, and they, they can only do that by, by trading, you know, material numbers of their, of their aircraft and orders. Yeah, pro probably logical as you say that the huge issues in 21, very little this year, the unsecured side, and, and something's got to give, right? As you say, that market reopens and, and hopefully we see more activity on that front. Um, can I ask you your perception then on asset values? We're obviously in a high inflationary environment. Are you seeing that kind of correlate on, on the asset value front? I think the interest rate has definitely made a, a big impact. Uh, we're seeing assets drop in value because of the higher funding cost uh, pr pretty much across the board. Okay, you can bake in some inflation, but there's big question marks, you know, long-term, where is your inflation rate going to settle? Um, there's still some reluctance to, to, to kind of go beyond the 2 3% inflation rate that we typically see in, in, in the market. Um, so one thing that has definitely changed is uh, the very high inflation on the engine side so as you, as aircraft get much much more you know older uh, you are picking up a lot of value on the LLPs etc which are escalating at 10 percent or, or even above every year so that that is one area that uh, that we should be probably allocating more value to Actually, as you mentioned, engines, it kind of brings on the OEM side, and um, both on the engine OEM side and the aircraft OEM side, huge challenges in supply chain and some technology issues on, on the engine side too, right? Your, your thoughts on, it sounds like that is feeding into the dysfunctionality in the market. 
your perspectives on OEMs, both current production and planned production rates, and just how important getting those guys back on track is to returning to a functioning market? Yeah, I think there's two things that that we should probably focus on here. Number one is there double accounting going on in the future orders. Are the lessors ordered and also the airlines ordered for the same focus or same objective? And there's always a possibility that there's a lot of double accounting going and therefore production rates that are planned to increase substantially in the next few years might never really be needed. So that's one concern. You can see that there is definitely room for growth in the market and replacement, of course, but the, the double accounting questions continues to plague uh, the, 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 the sort of, you know, the industry. Um, I think the other, the other point is just access to raw materials. And this was, this was an issue long before COVID, in fact, you know, when, when there was a certain amount of uh, production increased demanded of especially the engine manufacturers. I mean, they're running around going, where can we source all this new ceramic material and all this high, high tech uh, materials that, you know, frankly, that just isn't 10 sources of this. You can just dig it out of the ground. It's very, very complex. So I think we're going to start seeing even more issues on the supply chain. We can see this, this you know, ordering spare parts to reactivate aircraft. You know, everyone's got the same issue and to produce new aircraft, they need the same spare parts. So it's not like they've got massive priority on, on all this material. So I, I do wonder if, you know, the plans for production increases uh, will ever really stay, you know, in reality, I think the, 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 the access or the lack of access to the raw, raw materials might substantially curtail those, those plans. So. And just to briefly touch on another area of the market, which is around cargo, um, one that's always been a kind of spiky market. Um, some would argue we've seen a step change post-COVID with the evolution of e-commerce. And, and we've seen a lot more um, aviation finance being focused at that segment of the market. Is, is it an area you guys have played in at all? Is it one that you find could become more interesting in the coming years? Yeah, we. it was probably the first deal we did in COVID, actually. COVID hit in March 2020. And very soon after, one of our airlines uh, decided to, to stop paying rent. On a, and they were leasing a 330, 300 from us. And almost immediately we decided, you know what, this airline, even if COVID had last two weeks, we didn't know at the time, it's never going to look the same again. So let's pull the aircraft and we'll put it straight into a freighter conversion slot. So we actually, we were the launch lessor on the uh, A330 freighter conversion program. So we put that aircraft in, uh, it came out last summer and was put on a, on a fantastic lease uh, for, for many years. Um, and it's flying very happily. We've got a second aircraft going in next year. Um, so it's an area, it's a market I've personally have been involved in for many years because after I left engineering, I was, I was air, you know, engineering for Airbus in the, in the late 90s. I went then into the commercial uh, cargo market uh, with, uh, you know, running freighter conversions and selling and leasing freighter conversions. And uh, that market have stayed very close to ever since. And you're right, there is, you know, peaks and spikes in demand, but over over time, the trend has been up, and COVID gave e-commerce a bit of a boost. But the long-term trend, 20 years prior, has has always been more package freight. Um, you know, long long before COVID, there's definitely been a rush to convert a lot of aircraft, and we're seeing deliveries now take place, especially in the narrow body and the 800 side. There's a bit of a worry: Are we doing too many? Are we converting too many? What are we trying to replace? Where is the growth? Um, and we're seeing a, a bit of a bit of a dampening in in lease rate factors on on well lease rates achievable in in that market. Um, the 321 has held up quite a lot 
better, I think, because there's a more limited supply of conversion slots for the 321. The 330 is the same sort of story. There's only one converter for that aircraft, and and it's uh, you know horrendous issues with the production of that conversion with the supply chain issues. So that's kind of kept a lid on on on, on sort of producing. Oh, let's have 30 this year. You know, no, it's 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 kept pretty steady. So it's a bit of a function of you know where is the cargo market today? And they're notoriously short-sighted, by the way. They can only really plan six months in advance, and you know, who's ordered uh, a year ago for, for aircraft that are coming online now. So it's, uh, you, you'll always see peaks and, 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 and troughs in, in, that in, in that industry. And the only other thing, and I'm, I know I'm going on a bit here, but the only thing to add is the Russian crisis had a huge impact on the very large cargo fleet because there was a lot of triple seven, seven fours operating in that in that market, which were basically deleted from the space. So you saw a substantial hit in wide body dedicated cargo uh, capacity this year, which has had a knock on impact in the demand is boosted, of course, for dedicated cargo. And it was only partially alleviated by the fact that passenger aircraft uh, bellies are being filled again. So. Yeah, no, no, it's a really interesting perspectives, right? Because I, I think, look, a market where you've had some Different views, I'd say, uh, over the course of discussing for the purpose of the report. So it's, it's great to get those perspectives. Um, Gary, we, we've talked a lot around kind of opportunities in the market. We've talked a lot of the challenges that are there. Just in closing, as you look out into 2023, what are your optimism levels like? Uh, I think from our perspective, as an asset manager, we are incredibly optimistic. We see a lot of trade levels increasing across the board. We see in, you know, growing investor demand across the board. And I'm, by the way, I'm more of a pessimistic person, generally speaking, but but going into next year, despite all the talks of recession and despite, you know, the uncertainty with fuel and, and airline fortunes, but I, I'm remarkably positive uh, about where we see ourselves in our in our market going into next year. So. Well, Gary, on that hopeful and optimistic note, I'd like to thank you on behalf of KPMG and Ireland Economics for your insights and wish you and Stratos a very successful 2023. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you.